in prayer. Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us. We may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Um, I was reminded just uh, the other day of a time when um, a friend of mine, uh, now I was young at the time, I was probably like 18. Uh, I think I was just out of high school and and a guy who was like a couple years older than me, we were neighbors, we had motorcycles and we rode them a little. We started out on a ride that uh, we intended to take a little ride that day and it turned into a three-day ride and we rode all around West Virginia. And he had relatives in the eastern part of the state, and we went over there somewhere and kind of broke into one of his family's old abandoned houses and spent the night there. In our process of all of our travels, and this is back before GPS days and all that stuff, and it's bad enough when your GPS leads you astray, but we chose a road, and it got narrower, and and it was like a dirt road, and then it led to a river, a river crossing. Uh, Over there, you got some rivers that are about the size of creeks that I I would be familiar with, but... uh, this was, but, it, but unlike the creeks I'm familiar with, this was not a muddy creek. This was clear, pure water and lots, lots of rocks. So we're sizing it up. Now we're in street bikes. We're not, this, we're not prepared for like mudding or what have you. And as we're, as we're looking, I'm thinking, yeah, we could probably make it through this. That water looked to be about six inches deep. So we went through and, uh, that water was not six inches deep. It was probably something closer to 18 inches deep. It, we were fooled. Clear water, clear, pure water can fool you. It is difficult to judge the depth of that water. Turns out we may have survived. I'm, I've wondered how much damage we may have done to our street bikes in running them through that much water. But uh, for, for all we know, that, that didn't even do anything to them. But uh, our passage today is a bit like that clear water. Um, there's more that is below the surface than one might expect. It probably has a deeper and more significant meaning than perhaps we're uh, immediately expecting. But then more than that, it's uh, it, the Lord is telling us something here with which in our first reading of it, we may misconstrue if we just take it at, sur- at the surface value without digging deeper. So we're going to dig deeper today. The, the Lord Jesus is using... Some strong argument here, which when you hear his, his rationale and you adjust to this and you say, well, okay, if that could happen, what, what then? And what he's doing is this given fact is pointing and this, this, uh, story, this strong point is pointing to a more uh, implicit, uh, deeper significant meaning. So this is, we're going to dig a little here today. We, as children of God, are to persist in prayer. Because our Heavenly Father is good, and He loves to care for His children. So this is kind of what we're going to see in this today. And we're going to break this down under three contrasts. I see that the, I see that the Lord is contrasting three different things as we walk through this passage. First thing we're going to see is a contrast between, uh, pres- preserving, or per- persevering, sorry, persevering and losing heart. So, in verse 1 it says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So this is our first comparison. One, one translation says so that they don't go faint instead of don't lose heart. One, one says so they don't go faint. But why, why would you go faint? Why would you lose heart? Well, for context, we need to back up and remember where we were in 17, chapter 17. 
And Jesus is talking about in, in our last lesson, last week's lesson, about the already but not yet aspect of the kingdom. The kingdom has come, in part, and we are living in the already but not yet. He, he is, in last week's lesson, he was talking about some things that were significant and important because it, the kingdom has come in his presence. As he came, the kingdom came. But the kingdom has not come in full. So there, there's, there's this already but not yet. The kingdom has already come, but it is not yet fulfilled. So in the midst of living in the kingdom, we have uh, to contend with the fallenness of ourselves, our sinful nature, the fallenness and sinful nature of those around us, and it becomes a long journey. And he talked about that as well. So he knew that it was going to be quite some time before he would return. So what he's preparing us for, and he even alluded to this in these preceding verses, is about how... Um, we would be longing for his return and we would be looking for him. We would want to see him. We would want relief from our stress, our pressures, our strain, our suffering here. As we are having a taste of the kingdom, we want to see it fulfilled. We talked about Maranatha, Lord come quickly. We want to see the fulfillment of that kingdom. But also in these previous verses, he was talking about people going about their own life, doing the regular thing. He was talking about people being, they were eating and they were drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage. They were, they were going about regular life so much so that they were so involved in the mundane of living that they didn't see and recognize the king of the kingdom when he was in their midst. And so the warning from last week was that we need to be cautious and careful, that we need to be attentive to the kingdom And we need to understand that the kingdom has come and Jesus is that king of the kingdom. And we have pressing news. As pressing as those needs of our daily world is, where, yes, we have to go to work. Yes, we have to pay our water bill. Yes, we have to do the electric. All those things, yes. But if we're not careful, we could be so consumed with what our daily needs are that we forget about the spiritual and lose track of what is eternally important. So there's there's our there's our context So we talked about as we're members of his family, as we're members of the kingdom, we are to live differently than the world around us. We have a hope that is in us for the fulfillment of the kingdom, which drives and motivates us. But how do we persevere? How do do we persevere in this length of time when... He is absent from us in, as far as, you know, he's, he's, he's not here per, uh, physically. He's not yet, uh, in a full sense reigning. He is reigning, but where we, when we're still dealing with our own sin and sin with others, our, 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 we can get tired of fighting. We can grow weary. We can lose hope. We can lose heart. So what he's saying in order to persevere, what we need to do is pray. This is, uh, this is very simple, but it's a profound truth. That we need to pray or we're going to lose heart. As we operate in our own strength, which is our natural go-to, we can only go so far. We need to be plugged into that kingdom power. And the way we're going to be plugged into it is by uh, praying to him, by this continual conversation with our Heavenly Father. We need to feed our eternal perspective so that the... Um, this immediate, the immediate pressures of our regular daily life don't consume us. If the world around us is polluted, if the world around us is broken, if the world around us is full of sin and yearning for redemption, as Romans 8 talks about, and that's the whole world, even creation, then how is it 
that we would expect to survive and thrive by breathing in the polluted air. Y'all remember a couple years ago where that warehouse caught fire on South Side? That was, that was nasty. Now the wind would shift. It burnt for days. I was, I was coming in from out of town. I'd heard that uh, it made national news. I don't remember where I was, but I was coming in from out of town and took pictures through the windshield. There was this great big plume of smoke going up. And I was, I was down, uh, in the Blair Hassett area when I saw this plume of smoke coming up over Parkersburg. And then the closer I got, the more it stunk. And then sometimes the wind would shift and our neighborhood would fill with smoke. Uh, I was over at Bert's. Bert lives basically downriver from it. It was just nasty there the whole time. It, was, it wasn't just when the wind shifted. It was just nasty there. And there was that sharp, stinky smell with all that plastic burning. And who knows, who knows what was in the air? I just thought that was a great illustration of do we want to breathe that kind of air if we're trying to run a marathon? Is that the kind of air we want to breathe? I don't want to breathe that air getting out of the car and going into the house. I think it's a great illustration of the brokenness and sinfulness of the world that's around us. And if we're not careful, what we're going to do is feed on it instead of the this, this spiritual air that is made available to us through prayer. The prayer is like putting on the oxygen mask in such a condition that we have that fresh, clean, pure air it's going to feed and nurture every part of our body once we plug it in. Once we do that, we are able to be drawn into His grace, that mercy He provides. The Bible tells us that we are seated in the heavenlies already. I don't really, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm not preaching on that passage, and for that matter, I'm glad. I don't understand what that means. But there are some realities of heaven which we are already to participate in, and we have been renewed, and we have this taste of the kingdom. So we have something to look forward to. So to, in order to tap into those heavenlies, which we are already a part, and that's in that doctrine of the union with Christ, which I, I was a Christian for a long, long time, didn't know anything about that doctrine, never heard it talked about. I was not much of a reader, so I wasn't self-taught. I didn't know anything about this. And then I went to seminary, and they started talking about the doctrine of the union with Christ. And when God saves you, and we're so focused on the prayer we pray and the things that we say, what we do, when God saves you, He unites you to Christ. And we talk about being saved again and again and again and again. You know, this time I really mean it, and this time I'm really saved. Because it's all about me. But what the Bible says is, yeah, it's not about you. But God actually saves you and rejuvenates you from the inside. He regenerates you from the inside out. And in so doing, when He does that, you are brought in union with Christ. You are connected to him. So the idea that you'd like fall away is incoherent with this union with Christ. I find that to be very interesting and very reassuring. So when I, when I teach on that, I like to press on that because if we're looking for my performance to keep my salvation, I'm just, I'm toast. I'm toast. And as much as I know most of you, y'all are too. If I didn't have good news to share with you, what would I tell you? If I'm if I'm focusing on your good works, is that what we're going to highlight today? Well, look look who did what today this week. Let's let's make a check mark for you because you did well. I think you're getting in. You over here? I don't know about. Thanks be to God that He's the one who's doing the work. He rejuvenates us. He regenerates us. Makes us alive in Christ and seats us in the heavenlies. So we are partakers and joint heirs. Sons and daughters of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. I find this to be beautiful, and we then are to pray without ceasing. And we are to live our lives devoted to that reality. 
And if you've been faced with the reality that you are the one who is responsible for keeping your salvation, and what this is is good news for you, because if you're like me, I can't even find my keys. I can't find lots of things. I spend most of my time simply looking and making Becky mad because I ask her where everything is, and she's like, have you ever realized how much time? Yes, I realize this, but I still can't find it. If I'm the one who's responsible for my salvation, woe is me. But that's not how it works. We are seated in the heavenlies and we have this ability to tap in. This is like sitting in the full clean room filled with oxygen out of that polluted mess. And what we do to access it is simply pray. Next contrast we see is a contrast between an unknown widow and those children of God, God's chosen people, the elect. Those that we just talked about, that if you have been regenerated, you are seated in the heavenlies, that you are a joint heir with Christ, you are a son or daughter of the king. This contrast is between an unknown and a family member. Verse 2 says, and he said, he says, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down By her continual coming. In short, he was saying, nag, nag, nag. I'll get rid of this woman. This woman who has no name. This is a widow. She has no name. She has no name. She has no status. She has no resources. She's evidently being preyed upon and taken advantage of and treated unjustly. And as a woman in this culture, she wouldn't have had any worth or any value. She wouldn't have merited a response from this judge to get his attention. Judge was crooked and didn't really care about justice anyway. He didn't fear God or know him. That's what he said. He's the one who says he didn't know God and doesn't respect man. He was a judge unto himself. He would do what was right in his own eyes, probably what was most expedient, most profitable for him at the time. That poor woman wouldn't have the means like to bribe him so that he would rule in her favor. She didn't have the means to bribe him so that she he would listen to her case. And since she was not an affluent woman and she couldn't garner his respect that way or a listening ear, all she had to do was be persistent in this pursuit. She was a stranger, unknown to the judge. Here's the contrast. As believers, we are not strangers, unknown to God. For God loves and knows who his people are. He knows who his children are and he loves to care for them. The widow had no access, but as children of God, we have full access all the time. Anytime, anywhere, we can turn to God for that fresh oxygen through prayer. This woman, this widow, this unnamed woman, she had no advocate to intercede on her behalf. She couldn't have afforded a lawyer. She had no, there's no other character in this story. We have Jesus as an advocate, who the Bible says is interceding for us 24-7. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He is interceding for you. In her own strength, she wouldn't have been able to get her case on the docket. So all she could do was follow this man around as he would leave the tent. So that, you know, we're thinking courts, we're thinking judges, we're thinking fancy courthouses. I mean, even in Parkersburg, we have fancy courthouses. They're a place that's different. I could hop off there, I won't. They're a place that's different. It doesn't look like everywhere else you go in culture. There's something different when you go in you know that something's different. I went in, uh, I don't know what I went to court for, but I had to go to court probably speeding. That was my favorite thing. 
If I drove more now, I'd still get more speeding tickets. I just don't drive. I don't go anywhere. Um, the Lord has a way of saving us from ourselves, and I, by me not going anywhere, I don't, go, I, don't, I don't have anything to do that way. I went into a courtroom one time, and uh, I was dressed rather casually, and and then and the and I, and I don't. This was probably ten or fifteen. This was twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. I was an old, I was an old enough man. I was not a young boy who needed to be told how to dress. Well, I didn't think. I went in, and he he said, "Tuck that shirt in." I was I was embarrassed. Um, I tucked my shirt in. It's a, it was a different place. He had there were expectations when you go in. That's what we think of when we're talking about courts. This is different. This is like the judge is holding court in a tent. So when the guy when the judge would come out, she would see him. So she goes around nagging him. When she would see him in town, she would follow him and plead her case as he's trying to get groceries, kind of thing. She's hounding him to pieces. The judge says that. Okay, I'll I'll give in. I'll give in because of her persistence. Before she beats me down, when and the literal there is before she gives me a black eye. Before she beats me up with her persistence. Before for all this nagging, I'll give in and I will rule justly for her. Who did the judge rule justly for? Why? Why did? What was his motive? His motive was for him. Would you? We've done this with kids, right? Kids hound you to death so that they can get what they want. And either they're going to win or I'm going to win. Well, if you're not stubborn as me, the kid's going to win a lot. Because you just, what do you do? You just say, fine, have your way. May not even be what you wanted, may not be right. You just let it go. Because I'm tired of fighting. That's where this guy is. And so in our initial reading, we might think, well, this is what we need to do with God. This is not so. This is not so. Our God wants to give us what we need. We have this access all the time, everywhere, to God through prayer. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide and interpret our groanings. I enjoy that one where he interprets our groanings that we've said what we want. And sometimes we're in, we're praying and we're praying together. And I'm thinking, okay, we need a lot of grace in our, in our, if, if grace wasn't a thing, we'd probably be zapped dead for some of the times the way we pray. Some of the things that we say that are doctrinally incorrect in as we're calling out in prayer. Except we have a kind and gracious Father who longs to hear from us. And then he gives us this Holy Spirit who interprets our poor ability to verbalize what we want to say into what it is we need. And he gives that to the Father. Lastly, she came to the court in her court of law in her poverty. We, as children of God, come to the throne of grace... Not the court of law, being blessed with all the riches that have called us out of that darkness and into the light. So we should be encouraged to pray and bring our requests before the Lord. Are you tired of that nasty, polluted air? Are you tired of trying to make it on your own, breathing the air of the world and taking in the wisdom of the world instead of turning in prayer to the Lord? The next thing we're going to look at is a contrast between an unrighteous judge and our Heavenly Father. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here is again where on the surface we may think we need to be very persistent in our prayers because we have a God who is like this judge who is unwilling to give us what we're asking for. But that's not accurate. We don't have a God. We don't have a Heavenly Father 
who is hard for us to cajole into giving us what it is we want or giving us what we need. Jesus is contrasting that judge with our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father is not like that judge. He is not like our earthly fathers either. I think in many cases, I, th- I think in all cases, our fathers are to point us and designed, the whole, the whole, whole purpose of parents, is, it, it's designed so that it points us to God, so that we can have a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. But some of us haven't had great fathers. Some of us have had fathers who have failed miserably at being that model to point us to God. And in that respect, God is not like our fathers. Our fathers have something in them that is like God. The judge had something in him, in that role, that is like God. But our God is not like that judge. Our God is not like our poor fathers. He was reluctant. Our God is not. Our Heavenly Father is not operating out of selfish motives. Our our Heavenly Father is not giving us an answer just to get rid of us. Our God is a self-giving God. He loves His children. He is the Sovereign. He does not need to be bribed. He does not need to be cajoled. He does not need to be coerced. This is another one of those lessons that's like, how much more will God give to his children whom he loves? It's that kind of a lesson. If this hard judge would give this unnamed widow justice, how much more will our Heavenly Father give to his children? Well, how then do we contend with unanswered prayers? If what I'm saying is right, then... What's the answer? I've prayed for these things and I haven't seen the answer. I haven't seen God move. How do we contend with delayed answers to our prayers? What do we do with God's silence? First off, I would have to ask, how do we know that God is silent? Is it because you didn't get what you want? There are prayers that if we would have been granted the answers that we wanted when we prayed them, the only thing that that would have done has fueled our independence. Can anybody relate? Because what, what we want is to not see our brokenness, is to not see our need. We want to see ourselves as holy. We, okay, okay, I'm not as holy as God, but I'm a lot better than that guy over there. You know, I, I, if I just prayed and I could just get God to help me be on time in places, I'd feel like I had it pretty well wrapped up. What you really don't need is much of a God. If your greatest problem is being on time, I don't think you're seeing yourself through the mirror of Scripture. Scripture tells us we betray Him all the time in thought, word, and deed. Our needs are huge. One of the things that we can also rest assured is God knows our hearts and He knows our motives. He knows what we need. So it may be that sometimes we have motives in our asking that are so impure, he doesn't grant answers. But he will give us what we need, ultimately for our good and his glory. Perhaps at times we see God's inactivity um, as him doing nothing, but it's really a time of preparation. And perhaps that answer is really no, or perhaps the answer is not yet. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... We can abuse this verse a lot. It doesn't mean that it works out for good as we understand good. This is for how God sees good. It's ultimately for our good and His glory. You're telling me that all things work for the good. 
even my hardships, even my own mistakes, even though I suffer consequences for my mistakes that may last a lifetime, you're telling me these things work for my good. Even when I find no relief, the answer is yes, 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 and yes. Thanks be to God. He knows what we need more than we do. He wants his children to depend on him. And if that means we need to incur brokenness and suffering in order to remove this breathing metaphor off the world and onto the pure oxygen of him, suffer we will. He delights in giving us what we need and forming and shaping us into the image of Christ, which can be a very painful but beautiful process. Have you ever encountered a visit with somebody who was terminally ill? And when you visited them, you left lifted and overjoyed because of their attitude and their spiritual condition with the Lord. They were an encourager to you. And they tell you, this sickness that I've been diagnosed with has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. But what will the Lord find when he returns? This is where the passage goes. Will he find faith on earth? Will he find his people praying? That praying leading to persevering in the faith. Will he find his people dependent upon his word? Or will he find them growing faint? What will Jesus find in you? Brothers and sisters, persevere in your prayers. Breathe that heavenly oxygen boldly, with confidence, as one of his children, as a daughter of the king, as a son of the king. You go to the throne of grace knowing that your heavenly Father longs to hear from you about your hurts, about your cares, about your loves, about your losses. He cares. Call out to the one who can answer in your time of need and give you eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.